0: Welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. My aim is that these 15 minute conversations give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. In our last episode, we talked about shopper behavior, about where we as consumers have been going to buy our fresh produce these last several months and how that might change in future. Today on Fruitbox, I want to talk about what we've been eating. How has this coronavirus crisis changed our diet? Are we rethinking the food we eat? And are there perhaps other more deep-seated problems that have been revealed by this crisis that now need fixing and in fact, fixing fast? I'm delighted to be joined down the line today on Fruitbox by Barbara Bray, a nutritionist and food safety consultant whose work in these areas over many years has been important enough for her last year to have been awarded an honour here in the UK. So Barbara Bray MBE, welcome to Fruitbox.
1: Thank you very much, Chris. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: Um, Barbara, uh, we've all become much more conscious about what we eat, and especially so in these last few months. I- I've been eating more healthily. Have you?
1: Oh, I definitely tried. I think, Chris, when the lockdown started, I, I was just pleased to be able to get food. I didn't really worry too much about what it was. Hence, I think I ate my way through three kilos of potatoes in the first week or so. But I noticed that in March, because I like to have a, a look on Google and see what everybody else is um is searching for. And I noticed that the term immunity, that peaked around the start of lockdown and searches for the word veg went up and they stayed quite high. And I'm sure if you're anything like me, you'd have Googled veg box delivery only to find out that you couldn't get a delivery for three weeks. Because unfortunately, I should have been on holiday in in Australia and New Zealand. So I'd cancelled all my deliveries. (laughs) So um, I I literally was scrambling to get hold of fresh fruits and vegetables. But I think a lot of people did try and get fresh fruits and vegetables in that time. But on the flip side, we also saw sales of alcohol and snacking. I think Joe would have talked about that from his Kantar data. So we have seen both types of food, you know, the healthy and the snack foods as well go up.
0: Uh, You you mentioned the word immunity and um, there's this clear connection between food and and our health and well-being. And everybody kind of knows it. And if they don't, then they, they know it now. We've all become more concerned uh, about the nutritional benefits of the food we eat, I think, haven't we? And and do the prospects for our business of fresh fruits and vegetables then look absolutely really good? Uh, What do you think?
1: I think so, because if you look at what happened during lockdown, people were desperate and they started buying vegetable seeds and and trying to grow their own. And obviously we know that really it's it's a full time job to grow your own food, to be, you know, manage your food intake so you have to be reliant on other people whose job it is to do that for you and everybody is was at the time searching for on google how they could get more fruits and vegetables and how they could build immunity so there is a clear interest now and people always knew that it's a good idea to eat lots of fruits and vegetables but when there's a health threat obviously it just brings it to the forefront of people's minds and so yes wanting to include at least five portions of fruit and veg in the diet suddenly becomes really important. And when you're scratch cooking, that's easier to do. And I think what we saw before the the pandemic period was that we ate out a lot. We also ate a lot of food on the go. So we weren't really putting meals together that were well-balanced and more people have had time to do that now. So we're starting to reap the benefits of that. The only problem is that once we come out of the pandemic and we're into that post-pandemic world, If we pick up our old routines, for example, and we could slip back into old habits and start to lose some of those good qualities that we picked up about preparing healthy, balanced meals. And I really hope that there is a lot of drift into eating more fruits and vegetables, but I guess it's inevitable there will be some slowdown. But I think now people have experienced that it's really easy to make food from scratch and you do feel so much better when you cook for yourself and and make good quality meals. And that's great. But obviously not everybody has the time or the resource to do that.
0: And and there's a question, isn't there, about availability. I mean, it it seems that not, not everybody has fresh fruits and vegetables available to them, which I find astonishing, given the fact that, there is almost a, a supermarket almost on every corner of, uh, of almost every high street in, in this country in, in Britain and that's true of, of many parts of the world. So why isn't nutritious food available to everybody?
1: If you think back to earlier in 2020 when we had the Marmot report 10 years on, so Professor Marmot back in 2010 he looked at society and a lot of the issues that we had and Ten years on, he's reported that people can expect to live more of their lives in in poor health and inequality is really at the root of that. So things like improvement to life expectancy have stalled and declined for the poorest 10% of women and that the health gap has grown between wealthy and deprived areas. And the Food Foundation released a report just last year saying that the poorest 10% of UK households would need to spend 74% of their disposable income on food to meet the eat well guide costs, so that 's the guide that tells us we have to eat five portions of fruit and vegetables a day now this compares to six percent of disposable income on food for the richest ten percent, so inequality is really changing the way that people have access to food if you're wealthy you can eat what you like you can get as many fruits and vegetables as you want but if you're poorer that is just an aspiration because people physically don't have enough money to pay for all of their needs and when you look worldwide we see that we've got about 820 million people who are undernourished and about 2 billion people who are overweight and obese and within group of people who are overweight and obese you also have malnourishment because those people are eating foods that are very high in calories but very low in the nutrients that keep them healthy the type of nutrients we find in high fiber foods like fruits and vegetables.
0: So so it's a question then of I guess of consumer education Uh, I I note that our our Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, made explicit this connection between his uh, obesity in fact and, and disease because he was also let's not forget in in uh, in hospital uh, for a week as a coronavirus uh, suffering from coronavirus um and it's a question of disease but rather kind of our, our resistance to, to to disease um do you think that um that there's a role that government has to play to change all of this and how can they make a difference and and generally as we know governments tend to throw money at problems but it's a much more complex issue than that isn't it it is more complex, and yes, government
1: should have a role, but we also need to look at who are the vulnerable. So, for example, we saw that within the BAME community, there was the higher incidence of COVID-19. We know that the BAIN community, the BAME population, black, ethnic, minority people, are genetically at higher risk of type 2 diabetes. We know that we have an older adult population who are at higher risk of malnutrition and we have in our teenage population a risk of hidden hunger because although our teenagers might be more overweight and obese, they're lacking in things like fibre, iron, vitamin A and folate in their diet. So it's about making sure that people have access to the right food and I think changing the, the food environment is not only a responsibility of government but the big multinational companies who are producing all of these snack foods, convenience foods also have a role in this. Some I'm seeing are quite responsible and that they're giving people different choices so they're, they're changing the way they, they market the product. So for example you can go into a store look at the touch screen and they'll put the low calorie drinks and food first for example so that people are choosing water over fizzy drinks and and having healthier choices like fruit and and vegetable sticks over fries but it's about everybody playing their part so we're making sure that when people walk out of their house they're not bombarded with food on the go that they don't actually need and they they're able to access healthy choices so yes the government has to play a part but we also have to do it from a a wider society point of view to make sure the right choices are available for people. Mm.
0: You mentioned earlier about the disparities uh, between rich and poor, um, and there's every indication that we're all kind of heading for a severe economic downturn, which which means that there are going to be many, many more poorer people um, uh, living uh, in in the next uh, in the next few years. Um, What what does this mean for the quality of food that we eat as well, this economic downturn, do you think?
1: I think Joe's mentioned this before when he's talked about the Kantar data. So when people start to respond to a recession, they have recession-type shopping behaviours. That means that they'll buy fewer things and, and less expensive. But because we know that fruits and vegetables, for example, are quite a high cost in proportion to everything else, it means that people will be reducing... Their snacking you know if you don't have lots of money Mm. to spend you wouldn't necessarily buy three or four punnets of fruit that cost two pounds each because that you know is going Mm. to have a significant impact on your overall basket so the types of food that people choose will be the ones that give them the most number of calories to satisfy them but not necessarily the highest number of nutrients or the widest variety And health is all about eating a lot of vegetables, for example, that come from a wide range, a wide variety. And I just worry that as we become less affluent, and not necessarily less affluent, as a lot of people slip from being able to cover all of their costs and pay all of their bills to not being able to do that, they have very little leeway and that leeway has to come from the food choices that they make.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you're referring to episode 30, where I talked to Joe Roberts, uh, Joe Shaw Roberts, excuse me, of of Our World Panel, but, but um, to, the, to this issue about how, as it were, the, the trade works and, and the future of, uh, of, of our business, there's been, as we've seen, a kind of stampede to protectionism around the world over the last several years, and governments everywhere are, are erecting barriers to trade. And interestingly, some of these barriers include food standards. Um, Tell me more about that and how you see that, Barbara.
1: Well, we've had a lot of talk about the World Trade Organization and the mechanisms there. We know we've got things like the TBTs, the technical barriers to trade, and the SPSs, which address the the phytosanitary standards. Mm. And it's easy for, for governments to try and think, well, we can put a standard in place that acts as a barrier. But actually, the WTO is there to make sure that we've got fairness and, and parity where we can. What I see happening is probably a result or reaction to what is happening in thing, with things like climate change where countries have had crops that have been burnt to the ground or they've had flooding or they've had a plague of locusts come through and if they don't want to be trading it's the food in their country with another they, they're looking I guess for ways to try and keep their population fed. If you look back to the Arab Spring, where countries like Egypt and Morocco, countries in the Middle East were having a large amount of unrest, that all started from people having less availability of food. So people were going hungry, and when they go hungry, they have literally nothing to lose. And that sparked off all these riots. So I can see why governments would try and, and keep as much food in their own country as possible. Clearly, the World Trade Organization and the Food and Agriculture Organization is saying that the way that we're going to move through the post-pandemic world is if all governments collaborate and make sure they don't put up barriers and try and stop products crossing borders and, and being difficult, but everyone's going to want to protect their own citizens first and make sure that they're well fed. And at the moment... We've got so many challenges, the challenge of climate change alone and food being lost, either livestock because they've, they've been burnt in a fire or drowned in a flood and crops having, having been raised to the ground. It's, it's very difficult to replace that at short notice. And I think it, it will put a strain on international trade.
0: Oh dear, scary times ahead, um, but very interesting ones. Um, that's all we've got time for today on Fruitbox. I was joined down the line by Barbara Bray, MBE, a nutritionist and food safety consultant. Thanks thanks so much to, for your time today, Barbara. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Chris. It's been really enjoyable.
0: Now, you can find today's conversation with Barbara and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. Our audience continues to grow and many of you now tune into these conversations each and every week. It shows the strong interest there is out there for the best insight at a moment of momentous change in the business. I've got more great guests coming on the show in the coming weeks. If you want to feature in a future episode or have got some ideas of what you'd like me to talk about on Fruitbox, then do drop me a line. Send me an email to chris at fruitnet.com. Fruitbox is now on all the podcast platforms. You can stream or download an episode onto your phone or tablet. And when you finish listening, then why not start reading? Because all our magazines are now on your phone and tablet too. They're free to download at Apple's App Store, and at Google Play. That was Fruitbox, and this is Chris White. Thank you for listening. Until the next time, goodbye.